and welcome back. It's been Yamin Rose and myself, Gazali Gutenberg, with Mishbachar's Homefront, a wide angle view of Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Hello, Benjamin. Hello, Gazalia. So, we have more bad news. We see overnight confirmed four killed, four soldiers killed, more seriously wounded. And Benjamin, for me, this just feels close to home because, as we said repeatedly over the last few weeks, you scan those reports and then you're wondering if it's going to be someone you know. And indeed, this morning there was a 27 year old. Gabriel Bloom, who was killed in an explosion, an engineering explosion, but which is being investigated at one of the attack tunnels in Gaza. And he lives just very close by. And it's a reminder that as we just sadly get on with our lives in this sort of wartime routine, there are many who can't go like that. And there's many for whom this is constantly affecting their lives. I'm just seeing the note from my cousin who knows these blooms, lives around, likewise lives a few minutes away. She wrote to the family group. She wrote, tonight we went out for a lovely supper. She wrote that it was the, the only way to describe life at the moment is like a roller coaster. You go up, 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 and then get tossed down so violently. You don't know what hit you. She says, tonight we went out for a supper with friends, etc., and someone got engaged, and it was all lovely. Then we got home, and Mark, her husband, checked his WhatsApp, and we got uh, word that a young soldier from our shul fell in Gaza today. And she just concludes, was it just an hour ago that we were in a restaurant? And that is the, indeed the roller coaster, particularly for those who have sons. She has three sons in active in the army at the moment. And it's very, very difficult. Beyond difficult, we should bear in mind that there's, however disturbed our lives are, there are people whose lives are simply on hold. And that is the sad reality. We all have to dive into that. We need to keep in mind that this war is probably going to go on for several months, even if it becomes more low intensity, as the Americans would like, and I think as uh, Israel would like also, if possible. Unfortunately, we're going to be hearing more of these stories, and we just have to continue to dive in for our troops and for the success of the operation so that Hashem can vanquish our enemies for us. We have to put in our hishtablut, we have to put in our effort, but we need divine providence and prayers constantly are needed. The donations are needed and the Jews are helping. I thought I saw where Israel Bonds has raised something along the lines of $2.7 billion during this campaign. So Israel needs all the help that it can get financially and certainly from the point of view of prayers. But what struck me a couple of days ago, in addition to the latest losses of our soldiers, is what's going on on Har Meron. Most people think of Meron as the burial cave of the Rashbi. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai and his son, and other great rabbis in that vicinity. But on the other side of Har Meron, in the northern part of Israel, is a big military base with a large radar installation that overlooks Lebanon. And the Lebanese Hezbollah attacked Har Meron. They sent about 40 rockets the other day and causing quite a bit of destruction, from what I understand, on that Har Meron base. Gedali, I think you have a little bit more detail on that. Yes. So as you note, that base is very prominent. And in fact, this is people often give it as the guide, because if you just say to someone who's new to the area, you know, go to Hamiron, so you see the signs or whatever it is. But if you want to know which is Hamiron, uh, and you can see it anywhere, you just have to look at the, you can see these little white domes on the top of the radar systems. And they call that the, look at the eyes of the country. Eliam Dunavis as well, he used that phrase also about the installation on Harcharimon, but it's certainly Hamiron. And now know what those are for, because Hezbollah released a, what was at first thought to be a propaganda video. It certainly was a propaganda video, but it showed in disturbing detail both the base from overflight. So there was some way that they had put in some type of a drone at some point, fly over. They had views of the mountain from on top. 
which reveals the serving capabilities, they also then showed exactly what they knew that they were looking for. They showed as their missiles hit, and they showed where they hit. Now, again, I certainly first thought that this is just some photo montage or some, some way, some clever effect in which they've just done some program with some 3D animation to make it look like they hit it for propaganda purposes. Thereafter, the IDF actually said, yes, they did hit. And the fact that they were able to hit this thing with that level of accuracy, B, to get through the defenses, and C, to track and to photograph this is miles and miles from the border. This is clear footage. Shows just the intelligence and operative capabilities that the IDF is up against in Hezbollah. This is not some local militia or guerrilla force. This is a sophisticated army. And you know, when I begin to understand why this is biblical. I think yesterday he came out, he said, uh, yesterday before he came out, he said, clearly, we do not want to open up a second front. We know you have got our defense minister has been pushing right from October the 7th. We have to destroy Hezbollah at the same time. Bibi has clearly not wanted us. He's now confirmed that's the case. You know, I, mean, I understand that. You're dealing with a very sophisticated, very powerful enemy. And yet, I ask, given their sophistication, given the fact they're right on the border, given the fact that the Hamas playbook could be enacted, Shalom, on the north, what does Bibi think? What are the options except retreat and turning northern Israel into a buffer zone? That's my question. It's a very big mistake for anyone in this kind of military campaign to say publicly what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. Now, it's one thing if Netanyahu was having a private meeting with the Secretary of State Blinken, or if he's having a phone conversation with President Biden, and they're discussing what's going on, and he gives some sort of pledge or he tells them what he would like to do if circumstances work in our favor. But to make a public statement so that all the enemies can hear and that they know that, okay, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, is a terrible mistake. It's a mistake in strategy, it's a mistake in tactics. And it can only come back to haunt us. And I just don't understand why he would say something like that in public. It's possibly even that it was something in order to lull Hezbollah. They're in the works to attack in the north. But given Bibi's cautious nature, he would be dragged into every fight he's ever fought. He's never initiated one. It's hard to believe they're going to. And as you say, it's disturbing this. Because, and the fact remains, 100,000 citizens will not come back to their homes uh, they will stay in the center of the country if they feel that the problem is unsolved, as it is at the moment. I'll tell you something else that concerns me, and this also relates to the possible spread of the war. There was a report a couple of days ago issued by Rigavim. Rigavim is a center-right organization that works for the protection of Israel's lands and natural resources. Most people think of organizations like that, especially environmental agencies, being to the left of center, but Rigavim is definitely to the right. And they mentioned that in this report that there are now close to 17,000 illegal structures in Area C, which have been built by the Palestinian Authority, in many cases with the help and the aid and uh, money from the European Union. And what's happening is that in the center of the country, in Judea and Samaria, and especially in the South Hebron Hills area, they've allowed the buffer zone that we have between the Jewish settlements and between the old green line to be eaten away. In the Oslo Accords, there was supposed to be at least a half a mile of buffer space between the Jewish settlements and the Arab towns on the other side of the green line. That has been obliterated totally. And it's very dangerous. The Area C, which is supposed to be under Israeli, full Israeli control, both civilian and military, 
is the home of these 17,000 illegal structures. A lot of them have been built on IDF training grounds, on nature reserves and, and archaeological sites. So, you know, people talk about the U.S. still pushing for a Palestinian state. De facto, there's a Palestinian state already there because forget about just the 17,000 illegal structures that have been built recently in the last year or so. Ergovim says there's a total of 85,000 such structures throughout Judea and Samaria. And this has real potential to blow up. And it's a big security risk for us. And if we're not going to enforce our buffer areas, if we're not going to protect our borders, then this conflict can get inflamed very quickly. You know, and can I just take you up on that and say that this didn't mean much to me until I had a conversation a few weeks ago with an IDF officer who was actually in the Janine area, the West Bank. And I was asking him about this reports from the State Department about the settler violence and et cetera, et cetera. And he said, firstly, you know, just ignore all of this propaganda. And we discussed over here what that actually means. But he said, let me give you a bit of context. He says, everyone taking the law into their own hands. This is not about hilltop use, you know, violence against mindless violence, some disaffected kids. He said, the context is like this. What is happening is that the Palestinians know that if they can choke the settlements by destroying access to them. He said, what happens is that these places are very remote and all along the roads going to them, officially the IDF should be keeping them clear of buildings. But what the Palestinians are doing are building illegally right down to the roads. And this officer told me like this, he said, the moment that they succeed in reaching, he mentioned one particular settlement in which this was a case he was dealing with. They were seeing over the last few years how the, the buildings creeping down right down to the road. He says, the moment the buildings get to the road, this particular settlement will have to be evacuated. He said, because it'll be totally unsafe that a mother and a child is driving down just to get to the clinic, or we could be shot. Will be evacuated. The Palestinians are doing this on purpose. This is definitely. In my opinion, that's also a big problem. They shouldn't be evacuated, they should be defended. But the reality is, this officer said, the senior echelons, the senior officer corps of the IDF, knows this is happening, but their worldview, their left wing worldview, will allow them to defend these properly. And he says, this is what we're seeing. And this is why locals, local settlers, are taking the law into their own hands. They're not simply taking the law, they said, the law in these places have to be destroyed. No one is enforcing the laws. They are very literally taking the law and enforcing the law where the government authorities won't. And that is what we're talking about. And it's a ticking time bomb, and it's because nobody really wants to do anything about it. You know. So another thing that has to happen, Gedalia, we started today's program at the outset talking about the loss of another four soldiers. Most of the soldiers that we've lost in this battle so far are from the Dati Lumi National Religious Community. And it's well known that over the years, there has never been a Dati Lumi, there has never been a religious Ramat Kal or chief of staff of the IDF. And anytime there was ever anyone who was possibly in line for it, whether it be FEA Tom, or whether it would be Rabbi Nachman Kahana's son who had been mentioned, or even Ofer Winter, they've been knocked out at the last minute by, they call it rivalries, but I think the IDF brass doesn't want a national religious Ramat Kal. Probably a lot of the secular politicians don't want it either. My feeling is that at the end of this battle, that uh, the Dati Lumi community has to demand that the next IDF chiefs of staff be from their ranks. They're the ones who sacrificed the most. They're the ones who've given the most lives in this battle. And everyone else here in Israel seems to have no problem demanding whatever they want, whether it's uh, the Ethiopians, whether it's the Haredim, whether it's the handicapped, whether it's the uh, Free the Hostage Now movement. 
they have to stand up for themselves also. And if we had a religious chief of staff in the army, I think we would have a different looking army. We've been trying to go back to a good old tradition of giving some positive news. You have anything to share on that front? I consider the following positive. The Middle East Forum announced that the Florida Marriott Hotel canceled a pro-Hamas gathering that was scheduled for this week, January 12th and 13th. So the backstory is that there's a group called the South Florida Muslim Federation, and they were going to have their annual convention at the Marriott Coral Springs Hotel and Convention Center. The Marriott announced that the conference now has been canceled, at least there, due to what they called significant undesirable interest. Now, the Middle East Forum, which is a grassroots advocacy group, also a think tank based in Philadelphia. So they were the ones who galvanized residents in that area to launch a petition. And what happened was is that many business leaders and public officials threatened to terminate their relationship with the Marriott if the event proceeded as schedule. And because of those pressures, so the Marriott decided that they were going to cancel it. Now, the Muslim organization does have the right to hold a convention, of course, and to meet wherever they want to meet. But when you consider that part of the agenda was going to be supporting Hamas and promoting all sorts of other terror initiatives, then the Marriott made the right decision. And I think that you ought to be applauded for standing up for moral clarity. Good video and moral clarity is something that we demand on this podcast. And so we use this illustrious platform to congratulate the Marriott to making the right decision. And may there be many further cancellations. I wish you and listeners everywhere a happy and successful week ahead.